Welcome back to the Redneck Tech Podcast. This is going to be episode number 59, and we are with my really good buddy, the Ginger Ninja, Kyle Scott. I've known Kyle for going on probably, uh, I don't know, seven, eight-ish years. Uh, he is from Kentucky, right outside Lexington, and he is a producer, editor, just like I am. Worked at Sub7, just recently went out on his own, uh, kind of part-time, full-time on his own now. He's still kind of trying to get that all worked out. Still doing some work for those guys, but he is uh, one of my favorite people. He is a great human being and uh, just had his first baby. So what we're going to talk about is all the trials and tribulations that come with trying to do this job, adding a child to the family and the stress that puts on you, your wife, your business and everything else. But um, it's a good time. He also tells a story about a really big deer that uh, he didn't kill because of a really unique situation. So listen in. This is Kyle Scott. Right here, right here, right here. Yeah. You want him? Yeah. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Redneck Tech Podcast. This is going to be episode number 59. So you're one short of 60, my friend. What's going on? This is I got my buddy Kyle Scott on the phone. What's going on? How you doing? Good, buddy. Um, it's good to talk to you. Um, we don't get to see each other near as much as we used to, but um, which you're in the land of <clears throat> the land of milk and honey up there in Kentucky, which I've talked to you about many times wanting to move up that way so uh and you just had a new baby so how's how's life it's good yep you're right with the milk and honey thing kentucky's a good place to live and we got plenty of space up here for you uh, so come on well other than y'all's other than your love of the devil sport basketball i like it pretty good it's primetime basketball right now too <laughs> oh, cats in the sweet 16 life's good oh god i don't even want to talk about it I don't, i'm not <laughs> even gonna waste listeners time talking about basketball I think you're one of the minority that doesn't love March Madness, so they'd probably love it. I don't know a single person in my family that watches basketball. Period. So obviously, obviously, you are mistaken in that. <laughs> but yeah, so we had a we had a kid beginning of January, and then um, we she was actually a little bit earlier than expected. So we spent 36 days in the NICU. Yeah, good lord, man, that's a lot. Yeah, it was something I never wish on anybody, but it was. It was kind of a bittersweet experience. It's weird to say, but, but leaving think, there was like... I think, I think she was think worth, she it, was though. worth it, though. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And then having her home now, it's been awesome. So yeah. she's just like a normal baby now. Everything's good. The doctors are still checking up on a few things, but they're pretty confident she's going to have a normal developmental life and all that stuff. So that's all we hope for. Good deal, man. Well, that that happened at a crazy time for you, too, because you, like me, um, worked full-time at Sub7 for a long time, and you just recently kind of stepped out, you know, semi, you know, you know, mostly on your own to do some work with some other clients. And I know you're still doing some freelance work for those guys and everything else, but kind of how's that experience been? It's been good. So the, the biggest reason I, like I stepped away was just my wife and I also film weddings. And so like I was the past couple of years, I'd been booking weddings and then they would overlap with sub seven dates. And so I was either telling or sending people to film the weddings that probably, I mean, the bride may not have loved, I mean, they love them personal wise, but like just production wise, they may not be getting their money's value. So, um, like my wife's awesome, super talented, but then 
we would have to send people with her that maybe weren't as experienced. And so I didn't, I didn't love that. And then is there that or missing sub seven trips, which also wasn't fair, especially as a full-time employee. So just for the sake of being able to dedicate myself to weddings and more freedom to let my wife stay at home, I decided to step away from sub seven. Still love those guys, love the company, love everybody there, but it's just, it was best for us to do my own thing and try to build a company here. Yeah. Well, talk, let's talk about the wedding business for a little bit because I've done a couple weddings, um, had a decent experience with it, um, and I know you guys do a lot of them, and you do some, from what I can understand, some pretty, you know, some pretty big and high-profile ones. So, what are, what's some of the the good and the bad and the ugly of doing weddings? Yeah, so weddings are actually, they they kind of get a bad rap, especially within the video world. It's kind of like the bottom of the barrel for video, but I enjoy them. My wife enjoys them. And we've, we've found a little niche market here in Lexington. And actually, Lexington, for whatever reason, has an awesome wedding, has an awesome wedding market. So that, And it's not oversaturated with videographers right now, too, which is awesome. So like we can pretty much book any weekend we want to. And so it's just pick or choose what weddings you want and go from there. And there's other, there's other videographers here, too, that we've actually become pretty good friends with. So it's just kind of a referral back and forth. Like if they're booked, they'll send us their... Their couples, if we're booked, we send them ours. And everyone usually stays pretty happy that way, too. And then I guess, it, I don't know what it is about Lexington, but it's just like a little hot spot for weddings, probably because of horses and the horse farms and all that stuff. But like the actual, what you can charge here is almost comparable to like a Chicago or New York or something like that. But Jeez. I mean, we're one-tenth of the size. Yeah. So well, that's awesome. What's what's, uh, what's kind of like a, what's kind of like a typical, walk me through a typical like uh wedding shoot if i were to hire you for a wedding like what's that what does that entail because i know a lot of guys that listen to this you know they're looking at trying to buy new equipment or they're trying to um, get some extra cash to be able to do another trip or two and filming weddings is a great way to make some not quick money i mean it's still work but to make good money for not you know not a ton of days of work and be able to put that towards either their production or another hunt or whatever. So kind of walk me through that process for guys that are maybe in Ohio or in, or, you know, in the Southeast or somewhere that wanted to get into filming a couple of them to maybe supplement some stuff. Yeah. And that, that was the whole reason I got into it too. I started filming them in college and one of my buddies that I was in engineering school with, uh, he was filming weddings on the side too, and he was like, "Hey, man, I'm making like thirty thousand dollars a year as a student." And I was like, "Holy cow, thirty thousand dollars as a student! Like, I'm rich if I'm doing that." Oh yeah, for sure. And so, I started just like the first one. I first one I did, I think I charged five hundred bucks for it because I had never done a wedding before, never really filmed anything before outside of hunts, and even then it was like take a video camera to the tree stand and just have fun with it. And so, just started watching a ton of wedding videos like online to see what kind of shots they were getting, all that stuff. I bought an Sony A7S, the first one. I think I paid eighteen hundred bucks for it, and then bought like a or no, that my first wedding I filmed with a T3i. The A7 didn't come till later, so I had my T3i that I filmed the first wedding with, and then um, just had a girl that cut my wife's hair, and she's like, "Hey, we're looking for a videographer," and my wife was like, "Um, my husband's gonna start filming weddings if you want him to do it." So, long story short, she ends up booking me. But as far as day of, right now our package is. Um, start at eight hours of coverage. So usually time frame wise, we usually get there like one and film till about nine. And then there's always the option to add on extra hours. 
and then so we'll we usually get there and try to get a little bit of them getting ready like we we tell the bride and groom we try to get there at the end of like the bride's makeup so we can still get the last few shots of the makeup get them get her before she gets in her dress all that stuff and then we just film all the way through film the first look if they do one film the obviously the ceremony film the reception and usually like an hour or two into the reception with dancing and so and then that's a full wedding day usually by the end of it we're both pretty beat because i mean you're you're running non-stop for eight hours usually it's hot a lot of the weddings here are outdoors so we're both sweaty messes by the end of it but after those eight hours you that's all you're really i mean getting paid for obviously the post and like the pre-work but like as far as actual shooting it's eight hours worth how how long does it ta- how long does it take you to edit them generally? Um, I got lucky now, and I've I've hired my brother to do all of our wedding editing. Nice. So that's that's been a huge relief for me because I mean the first, but if I were to do it still, like it's probably thirty hours total. So in theory, we could shoot one and have it finished and out by the next wedding next weekend. Yeah, but usually it doesn't work that way. I'm not on task enough. So, but with him doing it now. Like, he's just doing the rough cuts, so I'll shoot it, I'll dump it, send it to him, and he's actually living in France now, too, so it's great, gives him something to do over there, and just the way their their work laws work, he can't work in France, so it gives him some money over there, so I just put it on Google Drive, send it over, he downloads it from over there, he usually takes about two weeks to get a rough cut, just, I mean, not that he's working every day, but just because he's doing a bunch of stuff over there as well, he sends it back, and then I usually take about two days to finish it. And then get it sent off. So I'm only spending, if you if you count the like consultation at the beginning, and then like the emails back and forth, wedding day and finishing it, I'm usually spending about four days per wedding. So it's really not too bad. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And from from what I know, and the ones I've done, they're really good money. I mean, you're ranging, depending on where you're at, and tell me if I'm wrong. You're ranging from like a two thousand twenty five hundred ish dollar wedding to I mean some are ten, fifteen thousand dollars just for videos. Yeah. So right now our our base package like for a Lexington wedding starts at forty two fifty. And then like for our travel weddings we have packages that go up to thirteen thousand. So and then those are the ones like weddings do get a bad rap not a bad rap, but they're kinda just like as a filmmaker, people look at weddings and be like, Oh, you do weddings but then when you go film for a weekend and make thirteen thousand dollars, it's like I'll I'll take weddings like that. Yeah, no doubt. So, that's that's a that's a really big outdoor project. A thirteen thousand yeah. dollar short film. That's an entire short film for a week's worth of filming and two weeks worth of editing. You know, that's a yeah. that's a big project. Um and that's and that's where I think some guys get caught up is uh, you know, well, it's really good money, but you're having to do weddings. Well, if you wanna you know, you wanna get a leg up in, in your business or get get that new camera, that new lens, man, that's a really good way to do it. Yeah, for sure. And it's, I mean, weddings aren't my end-all, be-all. Like, our, I think my ideal goal is to maybe do 10 weddings a year. And yeah. so I don't I don't want to be doing them every weekend, especially with a kid now. Oh, like yeah. A lot of the life happens on the weekends. And so that's that's the biggest downfall of weddings. It's your weekends are gone. Yeah. So yeah. there's been all kinds of stuff and vacations and lake trips and all that stuff that I have to miss out on. And then in, during the week when I'm free, everyone's like, oh, I got to work. So, but that's just kind of is how it is in this industry anyways. Just back to the money thing, like, I don't know, and I think I, I listened to your podcast with Hunsucker last time, and I think he hit the nail on the head when he said the outdoor industry is a passion industry, so 
people will more or less do it for free just because they love doing it. And so the, the amount of money charged in the outdoor industry compared to the wedding industry and just what a little tiny bit I've seen in like corporate work, it's like, Oh, it doesn't even compare. Yeah. Right. It's, it's not even close. Yeah. You've got to work yourself to death to make any money. Yeah. Well, to kind of get back to something you said and, and kind of expanding on what you just said, you said while you were in engineering school, and I know this, but the listeners might not know. What is kind of give me your background because you're you're not you didn't go to school for this. You went for something completely different. Yeah, I kind of took a weird path to production. So I I am uh, I have an engineering degree from the University of Kentucky. Had every intention going through college of getting an engineer or get my degree, go be an engineer, hunt on the weekends, and just goof off on the weekends and film. Yeah, and so it's my senior year. Um, Still planning on being an engineer at this point. I knew I didn't, like, I had the hunch that I could maybe do video. And so you actually texted me. You're still at Sub7. You texted me and said, hey, we're looking to hire somebody. Are you interested? And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And I'm getting married. I'm engaged at this point, getting married in July. So we're graduating, getting married, and trying to find a job. And so I talked to my wife about it. And she's like, hey, do whatever you want to. If you want to do it, go for it. So got on the phone with Mark. Talked to Mark and he agreed. Like we'll just do it. Give it six months. You can start in June. We'll go through the end of the year. Just see if it works for either one of us. See if you like it. So um, I was actually in senior design class when Mark called because we'd been playing phone tag back and forth. So he called me. So I left class. Talked to him. Decided I would do it for at least those six months. Went back into class and this was like the class where everybody's talking about like. The, the professor is just going around talking to each student, asking them what they're doing after graduation. <laughs> and everyone's like, oh, I'm going to work at this firm, going to design bridges over here, doing construction here. And he gets to me, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to film hunts. And everyone's just like, <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> and so, like, no one understood what I was even talking about. Because, of course, you go through – it took me five years to graduate. It's not an easy degree to get. And no. then no. not even going to use it. So <laughs> Not even going to use it. <laughs> People How, thought I was – People thought I was crazy at first, and I, I was still questioning it, too. Like, what am I even doing? Not only people thought you were crazy, but pretty much everybody in your family is an engineer, including your dad, right? Oh, yeah. So yep, so my grandfather's an engineer, my dad's an engineer, and two of my brothers are engineers. So what, like, was, what was their take? Uh, they, they, I mean, they were completely supportive of me, but, like, my dad had already had, like, he had connections to where I had jobs after college if I wanted, like, pretty good jobs, too, and so... And he was, I mean, he'd never batted an eye. He's like, if you want to do it, do it. That sounds awesome. But my, my initial intention was just to do it for six months. I thought I would do it, thought I would get tired of it. It wouldn't be what I, it was cracked up to be. And then starting January the next year, I'd go be an engineer. Well, January rolls around, ended up loving it those six months. My wife loved it. So I was like, I eh, will do another year. And so I tried another year, still loved it after that year, stuck with it. And so after about two years, I realized I probably wasn't going back to engineering. <laughs> but even those first two years, I was like, oh, I'll just go be an engineer in a few years. Like, this is my fun job. I'll, I'll really settle down and work in a couple of years. That's pretty funny. And here we are. And now you're off on your own, running and gunning. Yep. And my one of my brothers, who is an engineer, he's the one that I started filming with. So I think he he secretly wants to be doing this too. But he's making good money where he's at. So it's going to be hard to get him to leave. Yeah. Well, that's kind of what I want to talk about is the old days, the DRT <laughs> days. Um, that was on the notes that I sent over. And for, for those of you listening, I will give you a brief rundown of what DRT was. Um, 
everybody has uh, uh, an origin story of where they came from and how they got started doing this. And I've told my, you know, how I got into, you know, getting paid to do this. But my first ever venture into filming was what we called DRT hunting. And the DRT stands for dead right there. And if that sounds as redneck as you think it does, it's because it is. Um, and this was, oh gosh, 2009, 8, 9, something like that. I mean, it's been almost, it's been almost 10 years ago where, uh, you know, I tried to start doing a little web series and where we filmed hunts and there was virtually nothing different about it. Just some guys out filming hunts and Kyle and Michael Samples, which is one of your good buddies there in Kentucky, were two of the guys that. I ran across it. I honestly don't even remember how we met way back when. Was it on Facebook? I think it was, and I think it was through my cousin because he was like somehow pro-staffing or something for you because he had all those okay. farms he was leasing. That's right. Okay. And we kind of got hooked up through that, and y'all were kind of filming hunts kind of on and off, and y'all wanted to you know, get a little more serious about it, and I thought I was really serious about it, and I thought I knew what I was doing. And... uh we started filming hunts and y'all started filming hunts and we tried to start putting them together and editing and absolutely clueless as to what we were doing. And lo and behold, it turned into this. Um, we know we're, we're both doing it for a living, which, uh, which is crazy to think, but, uh, me, you, Jonathan, uh, Wooly and, uh, and Zach, um, all, you know, from that group ended up, you know, getting jobs and, and working in this industry, which is crazy because that's, that's a, quite a few of us, you know, from that one little rink-a-dink, terrible, you know, web show to eventually, you know, turn this into careers. And I, I wouldn't say we're the best at it, but we do okay. You know, it was one of those things to where we just enjoyed hunting and we enjoyed filming it. And, uh, Gosh, it's amazing what it's turned into. Yeah. So, to, like, how I even started filming was, you mentioned Michael Samples. He was one of my good buddies that I grew up with. And, like, we became really good friends in high school. We played baseball together when we were both really little, but went to different, like, elementary schools and middle schools. So, I just knew in baseball, 12-year-old, like, all-stars, he was the guy that hunted. So, of course, I wanted to be his friend. So, <laughs> then we go to high school, and, like, we did, we hadn't talked in probably three or four years and we're sitting in algebra class, and at this time, like he, he was quasi famous in the hunting industry in in our very small hometown, because he was killing like 140 inch deer as a middle schooler, like every year with his bow, just on his own. He was always killing big deer, and so I was like, dang. And at this time, my biggest deer was probably a 110 inch deer that I killed with a muzzleloader, mm-hmm. and so I don't think I'd even killed a deer with a bow with I killed a deer with my bow at this time. But we're sitting in algebra class, and he's like, hey Kyle, you killed anything yet? And I'm like a little starstruck, like, holy crap, this guy knows a hunt. What's going on? Yeah. And so long story short, we end up kicking it off. And then, like, I think I hunted with him that January, like, just one time. And then the next year, um, we started hunting quite a bit. And I talked him into letting me film him, which was a sacrifice for him because, I mean, he was he had nothing to do. Like, he didn't care about he, – he enjoyed filming, but he didn't love filming like I did. And he just let me tag along with him to film him. And the first year that we filmed together – I filmed him kill like a 170. And so I was like, oh, this is easy. Like, we could do this. (laughs) (laughs) And then um, I think after that, we actually uh, joined the Midwest Whitetail Pro staff. Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, 
we're too good. We we got to be somewhere. We're I mean, we're too, going 170. We're too good. This is too easy. <laughs> but if you saw that footage from the 170, you'd, it'd probably make you. I mean, you've seen it. Oh yeah, I've I think seen we, it. we filmed it on one of those DSLRs that have the zoom lens built into the DSLR. Oh yeah. And so it's like the rocker zoom on the side, and you can hear the zoom in the footage. So it's super high quality. It's awesome. <laughs> what year so was we, that? What year was that? That was, I think, 2013, maybe. 2013. 2013. Oh, yeah. I did, still I, I a freaking toad of a deer, though. Oh, yeah. I think it's still his biggest deer to date. That's awesome. And so did the Mid- Midwest Whitetail thing, found out that we were still going to have to like buy new bows, new camo, all that stuff, and not get, like, we, we thought we were going to go get it for free. I mean, you're pro staff, right? You get stuff yeah. for free. It's how it works. Hashtag pro and, staff, man. Oh, no. And so then that's when I talked to you on Facebook and joined the DRT squad. But I thought I made it after DRT. I mean, I got a free hat, a couple free shirts. I was like, I've peaked. This is it. <laughs> I've peaked. This is it. <laughs> and so, But oh I had a blast God. with that. That was awesome. Dude. Obviously, we had no idea what we were doing. No. God, no. I had no idea what we were doing. But dude, I'm all about fake it till you make it. I mean, That's heck, right. I, I have a podcast and I have no idea how to do that either other than talk to people that I know. But uh, that that's funny. <laughs> Telling the chicks in college that you're on a TV show. Oh, yeah. It works. Works every time. <laughs> 60% of the time works every time. Well, you said, you know, you talked about filming with your brother a bunch. And, um, you know, I've, I, you know, that's how I started filming was filming my brother. And, uh. I don't know. I mean, I love my brother, but filming with my brother and hunting with my brother was never a great experience for me just because my brother is one of those people that he's, he's super serious about it and we've had some good times, but he get he's kind of ornery in the mornings and he gets a little, you know, agitated and, uh, me and him would butt heads in the tree a lot. So, you know, that's how I got started filming, but it was never easy to film him. Um, you know, when we never killed anything because we hunted in Georgia. So it was one of those things to where it was, it was a rough, it was a rough go a lot of times. So how was it, you know, how was it filming with your brother? Cause I think a lot of guys that are out there filming are either filming with their brother or their first cousin, you know, the best friend, somebody that they spend a lot of time with already. So how, you know, how did you, how did you juggle that? Yeah. So it actually, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, we started filming, I think I was like 13 or 14 and we just took my mom's handy cam out and filmed it just just so we could go back and show my parents. And so we just started filming it. I think the first I think the first time I took a camera in the stand with me, I filmed him shoot a doe. And so I guess it's just beginner's luck always with me. But then um so we filmed him shoot that doe, loved it. Ended up dropping my mom's camera out of the stand. So <laughs> <laughs> broke that one. Had to go buy our own. And actually I found it the other day. It was like one of those Hitachi DVD cameras. Oh, yes. Yes. And so yes. And we thought we were big stuff then too. Oh, no doubt. no doubt. But then we, uh, so we kept filming for three or four years, just goofing off, like putting stuff on YouTube, and like had a blast with it. But it really wasn't bad for me. We both have personalities that are very um, easygoing. And so like we are kind of both go with the flow, like, oh, you can hunt this time. And we just alternated early on. And then, so, and then I started hunting with Michael Samples. And so he and I stopped hunting as much. We would still film some. But then he would, and my other brother would hunt together, and I would hunt with Michael Samples. And this is when we had the grand idea of we needed our own show. Yeah. So we went into it thinking we were going to get our own show, but obviously oh, yeah. it didn't pan out. I think everybody goes into it thinking they're going to be the next Michael Waddell, and they're going to have their own show. But I mean, I we have I everything to offer that Michael Waddell does. <laughs> Very few people understand what it takes to 
to run a full-blown show. It's it's a freaking job. Um, I'm actually about to start writing an article um, about that, about you know what this job actually looks like from the outside looking in, and I'm and it's it's a lot more than people ever realize, you know, and you realize that <clears throat> when you started working and doing this full time that it's it's a it's a job. I mean, it's it's fun. Don't get me wrong, you know, and we enjoy what we do, but it's it's absolutely work. For sure, and that we did that nameless pilot, yeah. and uh, yeah. that that was the first time I had seen a production from start to finish, and like how much work went into it, and then yeah. how it turned out. And that we, was the first time for me that I realized, like, wow, this. I mean, it, it's work. And we busted our butt. We busted our butt for what two or three days on that. And it, I mean, we 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 really have it for ourselves now because it was never. We shot a pilot called uh, Nameless. What was it? 2014, 15, something like that. <clears throat> and this was while I was still at Sub Sevens before you got hired. And we shot it kind of as a, a behind the scenes show of production of outdoor video producers is a great idea. I still think it's a great idea. The pilot turned out really good for what time we put into it, but it was one of those things to where it's not sponsorable. You know, nobody's going to ever pay to see the producer, you know, even though we were still going to kill stuff, you know, you can't go after the same bow companies, the same gun companies and everything else. So it was a great idea and I still think it would be cool. It just, it's always, you know, what I told y'all from the beginning, if it ever were to do anything, it's going to take the right company saying, you know, that really, <clears throat> that really aligns well with us, which I always thought like Garmin Verb would be a really good one to uh, sponsor that. But uh, it turns out I sent it to them and they never sent anything back, which is what happens 90% of the time. But any, either way, we had a really good time um, and I enjoyed doing that. And it was, and it was a challenge for me to essentially take whatever we had two and a half days and four people with everybody had different ideas and different you know, directions and say, Hey, let's mesh all this together. Let's work together, tell a good story and film a pilot. And I thought we, I thought we killed that one. I thought we did really good. Yeah. I thought it turned out well too. Yeah. And just seeing you and Clayton both like the, cause you all were obviously both pretty experienced at that time, relatively experienced, mm -hmm. but like way more experienced than me. And then seeing you all like just bounce back and forth ideas and then make it happen. was pretty cool to see. Well, I and think then that's when I realized like the actual good production TV shows, it's, I mean, obviously we know now and like we'll do, it's, it is a full-time job. Yeah. And most, I mean, outfitters don't realize that. I've heard you talk about your family members don't realize that. No, they don't. They think you're just going to goof off and film. Yeah, they do. They still do. After I've been doing this for <laughs> seven years now, they still think I'm goofing off. But, um, it's one of those things to where, uh, I think we did a really good job on that pilot, um, of doing comedy. You know, people always want to have comedy in something, but but producing comedy is probably the hardest thing I've ever tried to do, especially with four guys like us that, you know, aren't necessarily, uh, you know, comedians like a, like a Chuck Belmore. Yeah. Like not, not like a Chuck Belmore. Exactly. You know, when you have somebody like that, comedy is a little easier to produce, but I think we did a pretty good job because every time I show that to somebody who does what we do for a living, they always laugh, you know, at the little quirks and the, you know, you know, talking about the, the crappy cameraman stand versus the good hunter stand and all that stuff that only we know about, you know, um, which I know some of you listening might not have ever seen that, seen that pilot. So if you haven't, let me know and I'll try and post it somewhere. But, uh, it was a good one. It was fun, but, um, kind of talking about 
what you were talking about earlier, and I know this is this is still a sore subject with you, and I know you know where I'm going. <laughs> you and Michael were filming. Isn't this podcast about time to end. <laughs> this was this was DRT days, wasn't it? Or was this yeah. ha- this was DRT days? Okay, yeah, this was full fledged DRT. So uh, we were full bore and still not knowing what we were doing filming the DRT webisodes, and uh, you know Michael had killed a couple deer, and you had killed one or two deer, I think. But you guys were hunting somewhere like in a on a small track somewhere near Lexington, and I'm gonna let you tell the story, but. You had an encounter with a really big deer you should have shot, but uh, one of the DRT sponsors kind of screwed you a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's when I found out sponsor life wasn't so good after all. (laughs) So it was was October 26th. I forget the year, probably. And it's still burned into my brain. Oh, yeah. The dates at least. I can still see the footage. I've watched that footage no less than a thousand times. Gosh. So I'll just start from the beginning. It's October 26th. It's like the perfect hunting day. I think it was like 25 degrees, just cold, crisp, frost on the ground. And we're we're going into his best spot that we hadn't hunted all year. And so usually we leave this spot until this time of the year. Like the year prior he, is when he killed his 170. But the reason but the reason you're hunting is he's already killed. He killed opening day. Yep. So and you can only kill one buck in Kentucky. Yep, exactly. And so he's like, oh, we'll just go in here. We had no pictures of this deer. We'll just go in here and see what happens. And so it's like mid-morning, 9 o'clock or something, and we hadn't seen anything all day, not a single deer. And I look off to my right. We're sitting on a ridge top with like a road under us. I look off to my right, and I just see massive brow tines. And like he's walking through the brush when I first see him, so I don't get a good look at him. Like I immediately see the brow tines, tell Michael like, hey, there's a pretty good deer down there. And then he walks behind a tree for me, so I can't see him. Michael's filming me like directly behind me. And he sees it, and Michael, who doesn't get, like, tore up too often about deer, like, freaks out at how big this deer is. He's like, holy crap, that's a giant. So he walks around the tree. I get a good look at him, and I'm like, obviously no-brainer shooter. And then he he just sits there, sniffs in the road a little bit, which, come to find out, we think he sniffed where we walked. Because he was walking, he was going to walk to a 10-yard trail, like, right in front of us. He kind of peels off when he smells that, and is walking through the woods. But no problem. I still have a shooting lane where he's going to walk at like 43 yards. And so I won't name the sponsor, but <laughs> it's one of those glorious single pin sights that you have to adjust the range. And like this is the first year I'd ever used one. I'd always use the five pin sight. So I'd never thought about having to adjust my sight. Well, my sight, my sight is set on 20 yards and I'm not thinking about it. I'm like, all right, good. Checking everything off the list. Got all the GoPros running, which is a rarity in and of itself. Oh, yeah. Footage is I'm great. I'm good. I'm settled. I'm linked. I am got my release on my bow, and I start drawing. And he's walking through the lane. I'm like, oh, this is a done deal. He's going to be 43 yards. So I get to full draw. He's like three steps from the lane, and it hits me that I never adjusted the distance on my sight. So then in the split second, I have two decisions. I can either just aim high and fling an arrow and potentially wound the biggest deer I've ever seen in my life on someone else's property that he's just letting me hunt out of his goodness of his heart, or I can try to let down and adjust it and then draw again. Well, I chose the latter, and it failed. So I let down, tried to adjust it, drew back, but he was already gone, out of the shooting lane, out of my life forever, forever to haunt me until the day I die. <laughs> and I've made you tell this story no less than a dozen times over the years. I hate it every time. But at the time, 
It's October 26. He he wasn't really spooked. He may have smelled us, but he wasn't like acting spooked. And so we're thinking, no problem. We'll kill him like this week sometime. So he walks off. I just start shaking like a leaf, like freaking out. And then, I mean, I'm not, I'm not the best estimate, but it's easy. It's a deer easy in the 180s. Oh, I, I put that deer in the 90s all day long. And I, I think it could easily be in the 90s. And so we're talking a deer that, deer of a lifetime. But probably what 12, 13, 14 inch brow tines. Yeah, easily. Stupid brow, stupid brow tines. Doesn't even look real. Oh, I'm getting hot and sweaty thinking about it. <laughs> well, so this deer, this deer leaves your life. And you, you're, you're beside yourself. And what happens as soon as y'all get out of the tree? Once you slip out of there. So we slip out, easy peasy. Don't spook anything getting out. We get to our truck, and there's another truck there. And so I'm like, this is weird. And because the person whose farm we're hunting on is like very particular about people hunting on her farm. Like she she won't allow gun hunting, only bow hunting, even for turkeys. So it's only bow hunting 24-7. And so we get down to the truck, talk to this guy, and he pulls a shotgun out of his truck. And Michael's like, hey, man, what's going on? What are you doing? And Because we're thinking this guy's just like poaching, doesn't know what he's doing. Come to find out, he actually did have permission to be there. And he's rabbit hunting or turkey hunting, one of the two. Well, he's, I think he maybe fall turkey hunting with a shotgun. And so we're like, crap, this isn't good. And this, it's like a 140-acre piece. And usually you would think if you're turkey hunting, you're going to go the opposite direction of where we were. Nope, he walks directly where we came from, straight at that deer. Just beelines so, to that spot. Just beelines to that deer, shotgun in hand, going up there to try to shoot a turkey. So that was a little bit of a, a cluster as well, which was no bueno. <laughs> Long story short, we don't see the deer the rest of the year. Next year comes around, October 15th or something, we get a picture of the deer, and it's like mega giant this year, like easily over 200. Like has two main beams on his right side. Mm -hmm. Like his right side alone is probably like a 150-inch side, 160-inch side, because he has two main beams, both like full racks. It's like a ridiculous-looking deer. And And then I think we got a picture of him October 19th, still a full rack. October 20th, we get a picture, and he broke off his entire right side. <laughs> and so, like, 150 inches gone. So, we're like, oh, crap, we can't shoot him this year. And that year, of course, he's, like, daylight every night. Oh, yeah. Could have easily killed him if he had a full rack. And then we don't know what happened to him after that. Never never heard of him or seen him again. And if somebody around your parts would have killed him, you'd have known about it. Yeah, for sure. Unless they killed him with a half rack, thinking he was just, like, a, a big frame deer and didn't oh, know what really? he actually was. Yeah, that would have been really unfortunate. Well, uh, that sucks, dude. I mean, I know every time, every time I think about it, it's like, dude, that, and, and for those of you that don't know the deer we're talking about and have never seen it, he's worth losing sleep over. He's, he, he was big and, and the fact that, you know, you and Michael got it all on video and, and told the story and we actually used it for, uh, one of the shows that aired on Pursuit Channel years ago. Um, it was, it was a, it was a disheartening deal for sure yeah but it is what it is yeah and i keep telling myself i'll have another chance at a deer that big probably won't but it was not gonna hurt me to try never know well ehd killed y'all the next what two or three years after that yeah we got hit pretty hard with it so it's still trying to bounce back from that and still is nowhere near where it was well kind of changing gears to kind of go back to what we were talking about at the very beginning how has having a baby and adding to the family uh, kind of changed everything for you? Oh, man. Like people say it, but it has literally changed everything, especially 
I mean, we have a unique situation just with her being in the NICU and like her first day of life, the doctors told us not to expect her to survive. And so like, it kind of just really puts everything into perspective. And like I was, I was a couple hours away from losing her and losing my wife just because of the way things went down with like the delivery and all that. Like had we not gone to the hospital when we did, they probably both would have died. And so like sitting there after the fact rehashing that, it's just like, wow. I mean, yeah, yeah. it's a, it's a gut wrencher. And that, that's kind of what pushed me over the edge of like, what am I doing? Like I, I need to have the freedom to live life to the fullest and all that stuff. And so that, that was another step of me leaving sub seven was just to have the freedom to like never miss a birthday if I don't want to never miss Christmas, never miss Thanksgiving and just have the freedom of schedule to always be home if I have to. I mean, I'll, I'll probably lose out on money because of it, but I'm, I'm at least not letting other employees down by not going somewhere. Yeah, no, for sure. So, I mean, that, that was a, a big thing for me and it's just, I have a lot more to work for now. I'm not just goofing off so I can have money to go spend on hunting. Like I'm trying to pay for college one day. I got to buy stuff for her. I mean, raise her, provide for her. So it's a definite, definite game changer. It's made me grow up pretty fast. It actually um, has made me work a lot harder too, which was, I didn't, I kind of figured it might, but I didn't know for sure. But like now every day when I wake up, which this is, someone told me this a couple months ago, or I read it somewhere and it's actually helped me a lot. If you view yourself like you're making however much you want, $500 a day, $1,000 a day, whatever it is, and you approach each work day like you have that money to make or lose, it makes you work a lot harder. Like if I want to sit on the couch and watch TV, sure, but would I take five $100 bills out of my wallet and hand it to somebody to say, hey, I'm going to sit here and watch TV? Probably not. So that's actually helped me a lot just to view each day as what I'm actually worth because, I mean... That's what you would make elsewhere. So every day that I don't do something here is another day that I can't do something down the road. Yeah. Especially with edits and all that stuff. So it it just has been motivational for me to stay on task and stick with it. That's good advice though. You know, I, I, you know, I can, you know, woe me, you know, in terms of that, because I'm one of those guys I've been running really hard for the last three weeks and I got home. What day was it? Saturday or Sunday. And then Monday rolled around after I'd been gone, running hard for three weeks. And I was like, I've got two edits, three edits I need to do, like, this week. And uh, it's Wednesday, and I've gotten one of them done. Because I was like, oh, man, I just need to rest a day or two. And then that that one day turns into, oh, man, it, it was really nice to lay around and not do nothing yesterday. And kind of play with kids. And then it's like, okay, well, I've got to get something done today. And then life happens and then somebody's sick or somebody's this, that, and the other or whatever, you know, my wife's working full time. So it's, it's one of those things to where there's always something to do, but, and it's really hard to get distracted. And I, and I find myself getting distracted a lot and trying to stay on task and get things out and get the invoiced and make sure people pay on time, which that's been my biggest thing is trying to get people to pay on time um, or, or, or in a timely fashion. Um, not even on time, but like, Hey, you know, it's been, it's been two months, you know, like, let's go dude. Like what's, what's the deal here? Um, so which, you know, a lot of these companies are used to 30 days out, 60 days out, 90 days out. Well, turns out a little one man band business can't handle, you know, 60, 90 days out. You know, we have to, we have to plan around that money. And especially when you have youngins running around, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to do that. Yeah. And another thing along with that too is 
I've learned the hard way is to actually set realistic expectations. Like I'll, I'll go into a week and say, okay, I'm going to finish this, 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 and this, and only get one or two of them done. And then I'm like beating myself up because I didn't finish it. Yeah, but for sure. If you like step back and look at what I wanted to finish, like no, no human could finish that in that amount of time. Yeah. So that's one thing I had to do is just give myself, and I'm starting small, give myself small goals for the day and then work your way up to where I need to, I'm still trying to figure out like what I'm capable of doing, like editing wise, how fast I actually am just because I thought I knew, but then it's just, it changes and it, which is kind of how it will be forever. It's always going to change for every edit because every edit has different challenges and different hiccups. Oh so, yeah, for sure. I'm still trying to figure out how long it takes me to edit and where I need to, like how much time I need to devote to each edit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's another thing that people don't understand is how long that process takes. Um, yeah, I just know. had a project that I was working on that I thought was going to take me four days, ended up taking me seven days. And so I'm sitting there beating myself up like, oh, I'm just losing money now. This is terrible. Mm-hmm. Everyone feels sorry for me. But I mean, if I could just set realistic expectations at the beginning, I'd have been fine. Yeah. Well, dude, I uh, I thoroughly appreciate it. Given your given your insight on everything, I think there's a lot of guys out there that needed to hear the wedding stuff, that needed to hear the new baby stuff, that needed to hear the you know where the where you came from and where you're going stuff. So uh, that uh that, that that was good, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on. And just for the wedding stuff, if if you're thinking about it, just do it. Like it's actually it's not as bad as people say. There's some good money there, and you'll probably enjoy it more than you think. At least I do. So just go find a couple, do it, and go from there oh i'm sure there's no shortage of people that let you come do it for nothing if you wanted to go try it out for sure (laughs) well uh what's what's uh how can everybody find you on social media and and whatnot uh that's a good question i'm not i'm not as active as i should be let me make sure i get my name right it is (laughs) kyle under or sorry kyle.scott12 Kyle.scott12. The, and then our business the, one. The Ginger Ninja. If you want to follow ninja. some. The Ginger Ninja. <laughs> if you want to follow, follow some wedding stuff, it's at Summit Stone Creations. Nice. Well, dude, go go love on that little girl and get some work done today. And uh, tell your wife I said hello. And uh, I will see you hopefully sooner than later. Sounds good, man. We'll talk to you soon. Oh, hey.